Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Well, I sure love coming here. We love, we do love coming here. I can feel the presence of the Lord in this place. Y'all are so welcoming and so awesome. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves. Where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Oh God, your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the
reverence your presence, God. That we would humble ourselves this morning, God. That we would open our hearts to receive whatever you have for us because we know it is good. Lord, I just pray for the broken places to be mended this morning, Lord. Lord, I pray for refreshment on those who are weary and tired. Lord, your presence is so good. Oh, his name. 
with my soul play and sing like I do at home. So if I just start playing off and y'all are like, what is she doing up there? She doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, first of all. <clears throat> but I just really want us to press in this morning in a new way, in a way that just strips down pride, in a way that just honors and reverences a holy God. Because how great is he? Amen. This is my very favorite hymn. Oh, Thy path throughout 
You're not a distant God Not just a legend of old And in the middle of the darkness There is no moment I'm alone Your love can be a love that you never withhold You are constant, always with me In your presence I am home And you never let go, never let go, never let go you pull me in close, pull me in close, pull me in close You never let go, never let go, never let go You pull me in close, pull me in close, pull me in close 
This next one, y'all might know. I just kind of threw it on the guys right now, so hope y'all know it. <laughs> the, moon, the moon and stars, they wept. The morning sun was dead. 
the Savior of the world was found in His body on the cross His blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon Him Heaven looked away, the Son of God was laid in darkness. A battle in the grave, the war on death was waged, the power of hell forever broken. The ground began to shake, the stone was rolled away. His perfect love could not be overcome. Now death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you defeated. Hey! 
just be reverent and aware when you're in the room. <clears throat> Amen. Oh, we're going to end with this song. I don't want to, I don't know about y'all, but I just feel his presence really heavy. The, I never write a song, you know, God just gives them to me during worship just like that. So I'll probably go home and have a song out of that. Um, but this is one of those ones where I was just sitting down, I was playing at a church, I was doing praise and worship somewhere, and I just started singing the chorus to this song, and, um, this song for me personally is like, kind of my heart's cry of what it feels like to walk through some serious refining fire, and I remember asking God, I'm like, Lord, why am I going through all of this? And I remember... (laughs) He just, he just said, um, why not? 
Why not? So I've learned a whole lot in a year of crazy tragedy and crazy trials. And this song just, I think is just a heart's cry of when you feel just like you've been stripped down. Everything's gone. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what your next move is going to be. And you've got kids to take care of and a life to still live. But joy is a choice. We can choose. We really can. I think sometimes we think, I don't have a choice. I'm stuck. No, you ain't. God is big and he is mighty. And we've got one life to live. And if anything I've learned, I don't know a whole lot, but what I do know is that God is faithful. But if we choose to hang on to bitterness and why me and feeling sorry for ourselves, we will stay there. God is a gentleman. But he is faithful. You need to strip down that pride and know you can't do it on your own. You can't, no matter what the trial is, no matter how small or how big, God wants us to know that only through him, only through him. But I wake up each morning and I purposefully choose joy. Lord, I choose your joy this morning. The Bible says to leap for joy. It doesn't say joy just comes and falls upon us. We got to leap for joy. It is a choice. And then it can be your strength. God, his joy is our strength. Amen. I'm at ease, oh God, oh, oh God. Ever walked such a dark road, such a dark road before? It's insane, oh the pain. But you came in like a flood, surrounding me with your love, oh God. Oh, oh, God, you strip it down to the bone, Lord, strip it down to the bone, Lord, no pride left, no pride left, strip it down to the bone, Lord, you strip it down to the bone, Lord, down to the bone, down to the bone. Ever been cut so deep, cut so deep, I can't breathe, oh God, oh, oh God. But you're like a bomb to my wounds, healing me and walking me through, oh God, oh, oh God. It's a battle of the mind, but I keep my eyes. Choose you. Strip it down to 
me down to the bone, Lord, down to the bone, down to the bone. Y'all go that way, I'll go this way. Thank you, Miss Alita. I tell you, if she ever learns to just let go, she'll be something else, won't she? Ever learns to let go and quit holding back. I, uh, I must confess, I was a little nervous this morning. I uh, was walking, walking over, and uh, you know, I knew that Alita and her geriatric pickup band were going to be here. They coined themselves that, by the way, for those of you that don't know. I didn't, I'm not picking on them, um, but they coined themselves and I will run with it. But I was walking over and I saw some vultures and I thought, oh Lord, we've lost one. <laughs> I guess that's the price you pay when you play with the geriatric pickup bands. You've got to be ready to, to alternate. So they brought in an extra, but it turns out nobody had passed away, so they were good. But... Uh, Thank you guys so much for coming this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, and we'll be beginning in verse 36, and we'll be running through the end of the chapter this morning. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, and we're going to kind of step back into a, uh, what I call a mini-series of sermons, a series of sermons that we've been doing on Sunday mornings, and instead of doing it every Sunday morning, we've done about one a month or so. Uh, and we're, we're doing uh, the attributes of God, the identity of God. We looked first at the fact that God is a faithful God. We looked at the fact that God is a holy God. And this morning we're going to look at the point that God is a forgiving God. Uh, we're looking at the attributes of God primarily because I feel that in our culture today and in our society today, the, the, the biggest case of identity crisis that's running through America today is our idea of the identity of God. The culture's idea of the identity of exactly who God is. We give God all kinds of attributes that aren't truly God's attributes. And, and we misinform what his attributes are too often. We have too many people claiming that, that God is this or God is that when the God of the Bible is, is not those things. Or they misinterpret God's love. They, they say that God's love would mean that we can do whatever we want because God is a God of love. Well, God is a God of love, but he's not a God that loves whatever we want. He's a God that loves when we're obedient, but he's a God whose love never fails. But he's a God who is still the God of the Bible. And so if the love that you claim is not the love that is defined in the Bible, then you're loving yourself and you're not loving God. And God is not that kind of love. And so one of these sermons is going to be God is love. But not this morning, it's God is forgiving. And so it's important that if, if we're going to share the gospel of, of God, if we're going to be the bride of Christ, the hands and feet that go out and tell others about Jesus, it's important that we understand the attributes of God personally and that we look at those. And in addition to that, just to be completely honest with you, I don't know about you guys, but I love God. And I love talking about God. 
And I love thinking about who God is and what he's done for me. So this morning, we look at his forgiveness, and it is an attribute that we really like to discuss. Some of the attributes of God we don't like to discuss. We don't like to talk about his wrath. We don't like to to talk about those things, but we like to talk about forgiveness. We love to talk about Christ's blood washing away our sins. I love to knock on somebody's door and say, I've got good news for you. Jesus loves you and he died for you so that you might be forgiven. That's a good sentence to tell somebody when you knock on the door. We love to tell the story of the forgiving nature of our God because it's a story that we can all relate to intimately and personally. Did you know no matter what age you are in the house this morning, no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how long you've come to church, no matter how many Sunday school classes you've taught, how many deacons committees you've served on, that we can all stand in relation, that we stand in the need of the forgiveness of God this morning. We all stand in need of the forgiveness of God. And so given that truth, there's not a person in the room that cannot relate to this message this morning, so I need everybody to stay awake this morning. And would you please stand in honor and reverence of the holy word of our holy God from the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, standing in the need of your mercy. Standing in appreciation of your grace. And acknowledging that you are a holy, holy God. God, you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise, Lord God. So we pray that any hindrance that would stop us from focusing on you for the next few minutes would be taken from us and taken from this place, Lord. And that for the next little while we would do nothing but focus on you, God. And that we would respond to your spirit's conviction in our lives, Lord. And God, we promise that we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all things that's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, and you may be seated. 
God is forgiven, we could have gone, gone to, to a lot of places in Scripture for a message called God is forgiving. But this one, I feel, does a good job to point us towards the amazing forgiving grace of Jesus Christ. First thing I want us to look at in this story is the people that are present. Let's look at the people that, that are present. There are really three characters that we're going to look at in this story this morning about the forgiveness of Jesus. And the first one we want to look at is the gracious Savior, the Savior that was so gracious. Verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to come and eat. One of the Pharisees requested Jesus to come and dine with him, and Jesus did what? He, come on somebody. He, he went, he sat down to eat. All right, they invited him to eat, and Jesus sat down to eat. All right, I know she sang really beautifully, and you guys were able to chill for a minute while she sang, but if you don't amen and get into this sermon, I will preach all afternoon, okay? <laughs> so you got you to go with me a little bit. The Pharisee invited the Savior into his house, and Jesus went to eat. Now, chronologically, this is on the heels of Jesus being criticized for eating with sinners and tax collectors. So they'd been criticizing him for going to the houses of sinners and tax collectors, and now this religious man is inviting Christ into his house. You see that contrast there? Jesus was comfortable being in the presence of, of, of the down and out. He was comfortable being in the presence of those who were shunned by society. He was comfortable being in the presence of those that the society would say was down and out, but he was equally as comfortable being in the presence of those that were up and out. The Pharisees, the religious, those who looked like they had it all figured out on paper, those who were the ones who defined who was down and out perhaps. Jesus was comfortable going to any of their houses to sit down and have supper with them. He was comfortable because he was a gracious saver to go to anyone who would invite him. And so you had the down and out, you had the up and out, they would invite him. And Jesus was gracious to go and be there. He was good to save the low-down, good-for-nothing common sinner, and he was equally as good to save the religious good-for-nothing common sinner. You see how I did that? You got the, the low-down, good-for-nothing common sinner, and you got that religious good-for-nothing common sinner. Because apart from Jesus, it doesn't matter what you are, you're low-down, good-for-nothing. And he's gracious to go anywhere. He's a gracious Savior. And you know, if, if you and I are going to be used by God to share his magnificent story... If we're going to be used by God to share his magnificent gospel, to speak love and to speak mercy unto the lives of others, we're going to have to realize that we're going to have to get out and build some relationships and be comfortable being around anybody. We've got to be comfortable being around those that are down and out and those that are up and out. We've got to be comfortable building those relationships that we could share the gospel of Jesus wherever and whenever we go. You know, James speaks about not showing partiality. We've been going over that on Sunday nights. We've got to be comfortable when the lowest of the low by the world standards comes into our presence. We've got to be able to share that gospel with them. Equally as when the one who comes in in the, the richest of clothes. Because you know what? They're all magnificent creations of God. And they all need to hear the story of Jesus. They all need to hear the gospel of Jesus. God doesn't show favoritism to those people. So why should we? Jesus here in Scripture was a gracious, gracious Savior. Go into anyone's house, go in anywhere that he was invited. Now I want to make sure that you pick up what I said because this is, this is theologically important. Jesus shows us here that he goes where he wills and he comes where he's invited. 
Now, we'll make sure you hear that. He goes where he wills because he's sovereign. But he comes to where he's invited because he's gracious. He is a gracious, gracious Jesus. And he will come into every life. He will come into every heart, into every home that would humble themselves and say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Jesus, I want you to come and take control and, and sup with me. Jesus, come into my heart and be my God. And so we see, we see that there is a gracious Savior. But I want you to look at something else present here this morning. There's also a great sinner. Verse 37, it says, it says, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Luke doesn't really mince words here as he defines who this woman is. He says a woman who was a sinner. And that word literally kind of notes a, a state of immorality and sinful behavior. Most scholars would believe that this woman is what we would call a woman of the night or a participant in the world's oldest profession. She was a prostitute. She was involved in harlotry. She was not somebody that was looked high upon for, the, for what she did for a living. She had given herself away over and over and over again. And so just think in your minds. I want you to just think of something because it's going to make this story so much more reasonably in your mind if you think about this. Right here in the Pharisee's house, we have the holiest of holies, the Savior of Savior, the kings of kings, God himself put on flesh, dwelt among men. Jesus Christ is present in this house. You have the holiest of holies and you have what perhaps could have been defined as the unholiest of people. The one who was standing in the need of that Savior more than perhaps anybody by our standards. Here she was coming and playing this scene out. You have a sinless Savior and a harlot present in the same place. Now I'm sure, I'm sure that she probably came in and it was probably obvious what she did for a living. I'm sure it was well known what she did for a living. But here she comes into the house because she knows Jesus is there. And notice, notice she doesn't come and stand at his face. She doesn't come and, and, and jump up in his and say, Hey, Jesus, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. She don't even go to his face. She, she kind of comes behind him and, and makes her way to his feet with tears, showing a devotion that's not matched by anybody else in this house. There's not going to be anybody else in this house showing the devotion that this prostitute was showing to the Savior. She came down and she, she got at his feet. She was a great sinner. And so we have a gracious Savior. We have a great sinner. But we also have a grumbling skeptic. I want to set the scene. I want us to see these three people and who they are. Look at verse 39 with me. And now when the Pharisee had invited him. Now this is Simon. We're going to. We're going to learn as we read through the rest of the story. But it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And so Simon, the one who invited him, he sees this woman come up. He sees her go to the feet of Jesus. He sees all this going on. And he fails to remember something. And I think we fail to remember it sometimes. Simon fails to remember that his thoughts are words to God. Let me, let me say what I'm saying again. He fails to remember that what he was thinking are words to God's. Notice in verse 39 it says he, he thought it. What's it say? He says he spoke to himself. He thought this thought. 
So, so imagine this. All right, you're Simon. You've, you've invited Jesus because you're a religious leader, and chances are he really wanted to probably try to catch Jesus slipping. But he invites Jesus in his house, and here's Jesus, and here comes this prostitute, and here she is at his feet, and instead of Jesus kicking her away, Jesus lets her worship at his feet. Now, hang on. Let me tell you what I'm saying. This woman who didn't deserve it is worshiping at the feet of the Savior, and rather than kick her away and say, woman, I'm here to dine with Simon, he just lets her her do it and Simon looks at it and thinks to himself what is the matter with this Jesus this is no prophet if this guy were a prophet like he says he is he would know what's at his feet and he would surely get rid of her and so in verse 39 Simon thought it but look what happens in verse 40 those first three words what happened Jesus answered Now, hang on. Make sure you're picking up what I'm putting down. Simon thought it. Jesus heard it anyway and went ahead and answered him. Simon thought about it. He hadn't said it audibly from his mouth. Jesus heard his heart and said, well, hang on. Let me deal with this right now. Can you imagine Simon? I thought it. And here this guy goes answering me. I thought it. And here he answers me. And so Simon's thinking, this is, if this man were a prophet, so he's saying, essentially, he can't be a prophet. He wouldn't let this woman worship at his feet if he were. And I want to note something else to you. In verse 39, what's he say about the woman at the end? He says, she's a what? She's a sinner. Simon says, why would Jesus let her worship at his feet? She is a sinner. Now I want you to go back to verse 37 for me real quick, Miss Loretta. I'm sorry. I would go in order, but I can't. I just kind of go how it goes. Back in verse 37, what did the Holy Spirit say? She was a sinner. Now, hang on, that's important. Verse 39, Simon says she is a sinner. But back in verse 37, the Holy Spirit already announced her clean, didn't he? He said she used to be a sinner. So Simon said she is a sinner. Jesus said, no, 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 no. She used to be a sinner. But since she came to my feet, and since she devoted her life to me, and since she's here worshiping me, she ain't what she used to be. She's mine. She was a sinner. Now hang on. Hang on. Hang on. It gets even better than that, I promise. You see, even though Christ had not even formally announced it yet, the Holy Spirit had already announced that she used to be a sinner. He'd already announced that she was saved by her faith and by His grace. The Holy Spirit, Jesus ain't even audibly said, I got this one, and she's already got her faith in His grace. She's no longer identified by the past. You know, something that always seems to play out is there's always somebody under the scheme of Satan, and it's usually somebody that's holier than thou, that still beats the drum of what you used to be. Sinner, harlot, liar, cheater, drunk, scum. You're no good. You're no good. You're no good. And that skeptic just keeps beating that drum. You can't. You won't, you shouldn't, you aren't. But the Holy Spirit said, that's who you used to be. But you're forgiven. But boy, there's always a skeptic beating that drum. The Pharisee, by the prompting of the the enemy, wanted to declare that this woman was what she used to be. 
And do you know that when we look down upon someone for what they used to be, we're a Pharisee ourselves. When we look down on somebody for what they used to be, we criticize Jesus at the same time we criticize them because we say, your blood, Jesus, wasn't good enough to clean them up. They hadn't passed my test yet, so I'm still going to look down on them. You may have declared them clean, but I need them to do a few things first. I'm not sure, Jesus, that you were good enough. That's what we say. Now, none of us would ever say that on purpose, but that's what we say with our deeds. You know, I read a story about a couple of, uh, of older pastors that called a young pastor in an area on a Monday morning, and I want you to know what they said to him. They said, I hear that so-and-so was in your congregation on Sunday. They particularly named a person. They said, I hear that this guy was in your congregation on Sunday. And that young pastor said, oh, yeah. Yeah, he sure was. Praise the Lord. He was, he was there in the house of the Lord this Sunday. And that older pastor said, well, we don't know if you're aware because you're a young pastor. But he used to run that, uh, he used to run that drug house. And they named the address. They said he used to run that drug house there. He even went to prison for a few years because he got caught. There was all kinds of debauchery going on. People selling their bodies for drugs and drugs coming in and out. People were killed out in the, the parking lot of this house. And all these things went on. We just want you to know what kind of person was there in the house of the Lord Sunday, this past day. We want you to know who was there. And this young pastor said, I'm fully aware of that, but did you know that he's repented of his life? Did you know that, in fact, he actually got saved while he was in prison? And he goes back and preaches in the prison now once a week, telling people about the grace of God in his life. And that old pastor said something to him. When I read this, it just broke my heart. He said, I just don't want you to get the reputation as the kind of church that just takes anybody. Now, friends, it takes some nerve for a pastor to preach God's grace on Sunday and do that on Monday, doesn't it? But I thought about that. The reputation as the kind of church that just takes anybody. And my friends, can I just tell you something? I wish we had enough money to run a full-page ad in every newspaper in the southeast, on every social media platform there's ever been. I wish we had nine websites that said, Rocky Valley Baptist Church in the state of Tennessee is the kind of church that will just take anybody that repents of their sin. We'll just take anybody and tell them about the forgiving grace of Jesus. I don't need you to be pre-qualified pre or pre-screened. I don't care what you used to be. You know why I don't care what you used to be? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't care what you used to be. I'm pretty sure that in my copy of God's Word, when Paul says, I was the chief of sinners and the Holy Spirit set me free, he set that book in and said, I was as bad as it's ever going to be. So it don't matter unless you're Saul of Tarsus. You ain't the worst that's ever been. And God certainly saved and used Paul. He can certainly save and use anybody. I don't care who comes in the house of the Lord. They're worthy of the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ. There were the people that were present. Next, I want us to look at the parable of salvation. I want us to look at the parable of salvation. Jesus gives us a parable here about two debtors who owed to a lender. Jesus gives us this parable, and on one hand, he's kind of proving to Simon, hey, you thought I wasn't a prophet. I'm going to answer you even though you didn't say it out loud. That's so cool to me. I hope you guys, if you don't take anything from this message, I want you to take that this morning. I want you to take a whole lot more too. But you, 
He thought it and Jesus answered him. So he thought, well, this man's not a prophet. And so Jesus says, yeah, I am. Let me, let me answer your question with a little story, Simon. Let me tell you a little parable because I'm not sure you're smart enough to comprehend if I don't break it down when you can understand it. So he does it to answer the charge that Simon never really spoke out loud. But I also see he does it as an analogy of salvation for us. And this is the message of the gospel. We're going to move kind of quick for the sake of time here because I spent a little longer on the first point than I was supposed to. And uh, but really, we're going to go however quick we go. But I say that so you'll listen and pay attention. There are four truths about the forgiveness of God that I don't want you to miss here. First this is this, we are all debtors. We are all debtors. Verse 41 says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Here's what I want you to know. One owed 50, one owed 500. Do you know what they both were? Debtors. You guys are getting better. We're 15 minutes into the sermon. You're starting to answer my questions. This is going to be good. By the end, you'll be teaching. So it doesn't matter that the one was a 50 denarii debtor, one was a 500 denarii debtor. They both owed a debt, and they were both debtors. I want you to notice the story doesn't say you had one little debtor, one big debtor. It just says you had two debtors that owed a creditor a debt. My friends, it doesn't matter if you're a harlot or if you're a Pharisee. It doesn't matter if you're a lady of the night or a religious man that hasn't accepted Christ. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're a chairman of the deacons or, or if you just got out of prison. It doesn't matter what you are, who you are, where you are. If you are not saved, you are equally a debtor to God for your sin. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how bad you think you've been or how good you think you've been. Apart from Jesus Christ, it's all filthy rags anyway. And we're all debtors. All of us have a debt. Even though some, by the world's terms, may look worse. The debt of sin is still the debt nonetheless. You see, that first part of the gospel is not necessarily the good news. That first part of the gospel is kind of the bad news that makes the good news so good. Does that make sense? Until you realize what you're being forgiven of, you can't appreciate the forgiveness that you're going to get. Let me say that a little different. Until you realize you're doomed for hell, damned for your sin, you don't appreciate the grace of Jesus that plucks you from that sin. Until you realize you've got no hope, you don't appreciate hope. And so it doesn't matter until you appreciate that. And that's why that first part of the gospel is so important. We've got to recognize that we have a debt. We owe God a debt of sin. We have a holy God and we are not righteous. And we're, we're, we're apart from God because of our sin. That old hymn says, Was it for crimes that I had done that he groaned upon that tree? I would say, yes, it was for crimes that I have done that he groaned upon that tree. But bless God, bless God for that next line. Does anybody know what it is? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond decree. Yes, it was for my crimes. It was for my debt that he groaned upon that tree. But his amazing grace is so amazing because I was so in need of it. And my friends, we got to recognize this morning that according to Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. According to Isaiah, we're all like sheep and we've gone astray. According to Romans 3.10 and 11, there is not one good, no one righteous. No, not 
one. You say, well, I'm not that bad a sinner. My friend, can I just remind you that you were born with enough sin to be a bad sinner. No one is righteous. No, not one. Second truth about forgiveness. First, we've got to recognize that all are debtors. Second, we've got to realize that we're helpless to pay the debt that we owe. Look at verse 42 with me. He says, when they had nothing with which to repay, what did they have? There you go. Somebody tell me again. What did they have? Nothing. nothing. They didn't have anything. Nothing to which with to repay. Let me I'm gonna teach y'all a Greek word. You know what nothing means in the Greek text right there? Nothing. It's a fancy word. You can translate it in nine languages. You know what it's still gonna mean? Nothing. Kind of like my bank account on a Friday. Nothing. Some of you can relate. They were unable to pay. They had a debt. They had nothing to which pay that debt. There was nothing they could bring to the table to that creditor to pay that debt. Friends, that's exactly where we are in our sin. We're all sinners, and there is a punishment for our sin, and we cannot pay it. Nothing we could ever say, nothing we could ever do, nothing we could ever try could earn us the forgiveness of our sins. Nothing. Which leads us to our third truth. And that is only God can forgive that debt. The end of verse 42 says, when they had nothing with which to repay, what did he do anyway? He forgave them both. When they had nothing, the creditor repaid them and forgave them. To illustrate that, I want to tell you guys a little story. I want you to imagine that uh, Mr. Brian and Mr. Mike and myself go to lunch today. And at the end of the lunch, I look over to Brian and I say, Hey, buddy, can you, uh, can you spot me 20 bucks? I seem to have left my wallet at the house. I'll pay you back Wednesday night. And Brian, because he's a nice guy, gives me the 20 bucks and says, All right, I'll, I'll see you Wednesday night. But Wednesday night, we come to church. Brian walks in. He walks up to me and say, You got that 20 bucks? And I said, No. Mike said the debt was forgiven. Hang on. Brian might be inclined at that point to say, who was Mike to give the authority to forgive the debt that you owed to me? Brian might say, I set the terms for how that debt is repaid because I was the creditor. Mike didn't have the authority to decide how that debt would be forgiven. God might say of our sin debt, I said there is but one way that your debt could be paid. And that is Jesus Christ, my son. There is but one way that your sins are forgiven. So all these deeds and all these things and all these schemes of Satan and schemes of man that people are claiming to get right with God by doing these things. I'm going to check off enough boxes. I'm going to do good enough. I'm going to live right enough. I'm going to be holy enough. I'm going to feed enough hungry people. I'm going to, I'm going to not cuss. I'm going to not drink. I'm going to not do these bad things. I'm going to do these good things. And I'm going to get right with God through what I do. And God would say, who are you to determine 
how this debt is paid. I've already set the terms for how this debt is going to be reconciled and it is through one man, Jesus Christ, and His blood, nothing that you could do could ever set you free from the debt that you owe to me. And unless you come to me through the one way that I have set for you to come to me, you will not come to me. There is no other name but Jesus by which men are forgiven. There is no other name. Oprah Winfrey can, 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 can proclaim all she wants to that there are many ways. Ellen DeGeneres can proclaim that there can be enough good deeds that you can do to get to heaven. And all they're going to do is lead an awful lot of people to hell. Amen. Having gone straight to hell, doing an awful lot of good things. I'm glad that God uses the scheme of Satan to do good for people. A lot of people get benefit perhaps from the things that they do. But if somebody don't step in and say, there is but one name, Jesus Christ, by which you're accounted righteous to God, then all those good deeds count for nothing. They mean nothing eternally. Because God has said, He is the creditor and He has said this, there is but one way that you can be reconciled to me, and that is through my Son, Jesus Christ. There's but one way. Finally, in this parable, there's a fourth thing we need to see. And it is not only was God the only one who could forgive the debt. He was the only one who could pay the debt. He wasn't the only one that could forgive it only. He was also the only one that could pay it. Let me put it this way. If somebody owed you $500. Somebody owed you $500. You called them and you said, you realized they weren't going to pay it back. You called them and you said, I forgive you of that debt. Would the debt just be canceled and no one having had ever paid it? No, of course not. You would have chosen to have paid that debt. Somebody still had, the $500 was still gone. It had to come out of somebody's pocket. You just forgave them from having to pay it back, but it still had to be paid. Don't you get the idea that God, when he forgives your sins, that they just somehow disappear and nobody ever pays for them? Because my friends, if your sins just disappeared without ever having been punished, God would not be a faithful God and he would not be a holy God. Because he said that all sin must be punished. Now what happens when your sins are forgiven? It simply means that you no longer pay the debt for them. But you take the punishment that Jesus Christ paid for you on his cross as a propitiation for your sins. As a payment in full for your sins. It means... That though you couldn't pay it yourself, Jesus paid it all. And he took the punishment for your sins when he was on that cross of Calvary. Don't you cheapen what Jesus Christ did when he stretched his arms open wide. Don't you cheapen that for one minute and, and, and not recognize that when he was stretched out on that tree, he was taking every one of your sins and bearing God's wrath for those sins on his body, on that tree, for those hours that he hung on that cross in agony. His agony was taking the sins of everyone who would ever live on his back. And suffering and bleeding and dying. Your sins, they're not forgotten. They're punished. They're just punished by, by God on Jesus instead of God's wrath being poured out on you. Think about this. You could live your lifetime. You could live your lifetime, die unsaved, and spend eternity trying to pay the debt for your own sins. But Jesus Christ, in a few short hours on a cross took the punishment for everybody's sin. Think of the agony he endured on your behalf. 
Your sins weren't forgotten. They were punished. But Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Quickly as we close this morning. We've seen the people that are present. We've seen the the parable of salvation. Let's look quickly at the pardon of the sinner. Skip down to verse, verse 47 with me. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many, what are they? Oh, they're forgiven. Therefore I say to you, her sins that are so many, they are forgiven. I forgive them. Now he isn't saying here, I want to be clear, he's not saying that because she came in and anointed his feet and shed her tears and and wiped it up, He's not saying that those actions are the reason that she saved when he talks about the love that she showed him. He's not saying that's what happened because I want you to remember back in verse 37, before she ever does any of these things, the Holy Spirit already said she was a sinner. She didn't need to anoint his feet to get saved. She didn't need to cry at his feet to get saved. She anointed and cried at his feet because she got saved. Let me say that again. She anointed his feet and cried at his feet and sat at his feet because she got saved. My friends, if we have been pardoned of our sins, if you've been forgiven of your sins, it ought to play out in your life as worship. Quite frankly, if you are saved, you ought to be at the feet of Jesus every moment. Crying, thanking God above that he saved you. You ought to be ashamed to even look into his face with all of your sin. You ought to be prostrate, fell before him saying, God, thank you, and worshiping the king of kings. And yet far too often, far too often, we walk into a worship service and don't worship. A a service that's set aside and called a worship service. And I'm not just talking about the singing. I'm talking about the entire experience from the opening prayer to the closing invitation, Sunday school, the things we do before church, everything. that When we set aside a time and say we're going to go to church, we're saying we're going to go to worship Jesus. And far too often we get here and we've got everything on our mind but worshiping Jesus. Glory, hallelujah, I shall not be moved. No matter what God does in this place today, I'm still going to be thinking about the football game that happened yesterday. Sorry, Tennessee fans. I'm with you. I bleed orange and I cry orange right now a lot. But you know what? If you come into the house of God and you'll just think of this one thing on your way in the door. We ought to do it every morning when we get out of bed, but I'm going to be easy on you. I'm going to say, let's do it before we come into church. Right before you walk in that door, if you'll do this, if you'll go, my sins, they were many, but your grace, it is more. If you'll just think of who you were and think of whose you are, when you walk through that door, you won't be able to do anything but let Jesus ooze out of your pores. Because I don't know about you guys, and maybe I'm telling you too much about who I used to be, But when I think of how much I didn't deserve Jesus, 
of how much I deserve something besides Jesus, and Jesus paid it all for me anyway, I can't help. I can't help but worship him. I can't help it. Too often, though, we're with those Pharisees in verse 49. Look what they said. <laughs> Who is this? Who is this? He even forgives sins. Our God is a forgiving God. Whether you've got a $50 debt or a $500 debt like me, whether you just send a little bit or whether you send a lot, our God is a forgiving God. And maybe you're here as Miss Alita begins to, to play. And I want every head bowed and every eye closed. And maybe you're here, and as you're here, I just want to ask you this question as we close. Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Last week we preached about guilt. You know how you can leave that guilt behind? By recognizing that God has forgiven you of your sins. And if God has forgiven you of those sins, you don't got to carry that burden any longer. And so I ask you, have you been forgiven of your sins? If you have, if you have, I'm going to give you some directions during this invitation. If you are saved, a blood-bought believer, I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. I've been forgiven by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And I want you, during this invitation, to be praying thanksgiving prayers to God for saving your soul. I want you to be praying for somebody you know that's not been saved. Somebody you know that's lost. Praying that God would prick their heart and save their soul this moment. That he would give them the conviction that he would give you the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And so if, if you're a blood-bought child of God, that's what I want you doing during this invitation. You can do that where you sit. You can get. You can come to the altar and do that. You do that wherever you feel like doing that. There's something special about this altar. Something special about this altar. Sometimes just, just to come and lay your praise at His feet, it, it's an expression that is, that's unexplainable. So if you feel like you need to do that, you, you come at any time. And you do that. But if you're here this morning... And you don't know that you know that you're saved. You, you don't know that you've ever been forgiven. You say, I may have prayed a prayer. I may have got baptized one time. But I don't know that I know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every head's going to stay bowed. Every eye's going to stay closed during this invitation. So would you just slip out of your seat. Come forward and let's pray together. Let's pray together this morning. Because God is a forgiving God. It doesn't matter what you did before you got here. His grace is sufficient. Father God, God, as we go into a time of response, God, I pray that every person here in this house this morning would recognize that you are a forgiving God. That you are faithful and just and you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, Lord God. I pray that that is sunk into our hearts and our minds, Lord. And that for those that call you Father, it would ooze out in worship this very moment. That they would be able to do nothing more than praise you for who you are, God. God, if there be somebody here this morning, 
if there's somebody here who's never cried out, Father, please save me. God, don't you let go of their hearts because we know that you are a faithful God and you will forgive them. Every head remain bowed, every eye remain closed. Please sing for us, Miss Alita. I seek you more I find you more I find you more I love you I want to sit at your feet drink from the cup in your hand lay back against you and breathe feel your heart beat this love is so deep it's more than i can stand i melt in your peace it's overwhelming it's overwhelming More I seek you, the more I find you, the more I find you, the more I love you. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe, feel your heart beat. This love is so deep, it's more than I can stand. I melt your peace, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming, overwhelming with your love, with your love. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and
as you look up as you look up I just want you to take just a moment as Alita plays us out I'm going to let her I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell Alita you just play till the spirit says stop whenever that is but I want everybody here to take a moment if you want to raise if you're, if you're a hand raiser raise your hands if you're an amener say amen if you're I close my eyes and feel the spirit close your eyes you do whatever it is you do to just feel the spirit for just a moment before we close just a moment before we close. God, your presence is near. Oh, God. Oh, God. You heal broken hearts. Broken hearts. Stand in need of your mercy, of your mercy. again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.